This is Crossroads, the Get Religion podcast. This should be a big story. It is a big story, in fact. When the Bishop of Springfield, Illinois, accuses a cardinal in San Diego, a cardinal handpicked by Pope Francis, of being a heretic, that is a big story. So why is virtually no one writing about it? Greetings and welcome to Crossroads with Terry Mattingly. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for tuning us in. Terry is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. He's founder and editor of Get Religion, author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate, and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, welcome back. Glad to be here. Why isn't the mainstream press covering Bishop Thomas Paprocki's heresy essay in First Things on one of Pope Francis's newly minted cardinals? Well, I think we have to say at this point that they're not covering it yet. The key to me is I think they can't make up their minds on whether this is just a right-wing Catholic media thing. Let me back up for a second. In the decades that I have talked to denominational leaders, church leaders, seminary classes, etc., about news coverage, one of the questions I'm occasionally asked is, how should church leaders handle media requests when dealing with a story that the church leaders don't want to exist? In other words, how do we make a story go away? And what I always tell them, of course, is that freedom of the press belongs to people who own one, and that there is nothing they can do that will make a story vanish. Now, in this case, we may have the exception to that rule. And the exception to that rule is if a story ultimately points back to Pope Francis, to the Pope, and this is a Pope that you don't want to hurt, and it's a cause that you suspect you back the Pope on, do you cover the story if the Pope doesn't want it covered? Do you cover the story if the Pope's allies don't want it covered? And we can flash back in time to an amazing story a number of years ago when a number of cardinals sent a letter to Pope Francis challenging the theology in his pastoral letter. Actually, I believe it was an actual formal papal document. Anyway, Amoris Letitiae. And they asked five questions about that, and they went into great detail of the questions. And they basically said, is your paper undercutting the theology of Pope John Paul II about absolute truth and the beliefs that there are acts of sin that are intrinsically evil and that we cannot 
change that because there was kind of a suggestion of dialoguing with people, accompanying people, a lot of other words common in the Francis era. And they basically just said, now they were not accusing the Pope of heresy. They were saying, what we're seeking is more input from you. We want you to clarify your beliefs on this point because we think it has implications for many hot button issues before the church in this age, specifically Catholic teachings on a number of issues related to sexual morality, ranging from the idea and the legal side of Catholic divorce and whether you should give communion to people who have been divorced by the state but not by the church. Should you, and of course looming in the background is gay marriage, and a host of other issues related to homosexuality, which in the Catechism, the language John Paul used earlier in his absolute truths and intrinsically evil and that sort of thing, you have the language of the Catechism that homosexual acts, acts of sexuality outside of marriage are intrinsically disordered that homosexual activity is intrinsically disordered. And the word intrinsically there, of their very nature. So to some degree, what we could be seeing here is a rerun. The Pope never responded to that letter publicly. The cardinals who wrote the letter never stated openly, I don't believe, that they've got a letter from the Pope. As far as we know, the Pope went completely silent on those accusations against him, or at least if they were not accusations, these requests for doctrinal clarification. Because they said it's possible we have a direct conflict with the Catechism and with the teachings of previous Popes on this subject. Now, our listeners may go, I don't remember that story. That sounds pretty important. What does the word dubia mean anyway? And this is my point. Our listeners may not remember that story because it didn't get covered, because Francis, Pope Francis chose a strategy of silence. How do you cover a story centering on the Pope or allies of the Pope if the Pope refuses to comment. And Bishop Paprosky, his letter notes that no one can remove a cardinal from office except the Pope. So ultimately, if we have a cardinal who is guilty of public statements of heresy, Ultimately, the only person who can meaningfully discipline that cardinal would be the Pope. So I think to some degree, journalists who are sympathetic to the Pope, this Pope, and to this Pope's cardinals and allies, I think they're trying to figure out how do we write this story if the Pope does not appear to want it covered. 
So let's not assume that our listeners know the facts of the story. How would you summarize Bishop Paprocki's column that appeared in First Things? Okay, well, we need to back up a bit. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a column that kind of leads us into this. The headline on that column was Pope Francis and the liberal U.S. Cardinals spark more debates about doctrine and LGBTQ issues. And you might remember, this did get headlines, because when popes talk about sex, it makes headlines. That was the lead of my column. The Pope gave an exclusive address to the Associated Press, uh, interview, I should say. Pope Francis gave an exclusive interview to the Associated Press, thus guaranteeing the story goes out globally. The point of the interview was to state that his opposition to state laws in Africa and elsewhere that declare homosexual activity to be a crime. And so he said famously, being homosexual isn't a crime. We are all children of God, and God loves us as we are. And the Pope then, later in the Associated Press, buried this way down in the article. I stress that this was the most important thing he said. The Pope said homosexual activity is, quote, not a crime. Yes, but it is a sin. Well, when he said that, outreach.faith and Father James Martin, the famous progressive Catholic priest Jesuit here in America, immediately wrote the Pope and got an immediate answer in which the Pope said, I'm simply referring to Catholic moral teachings, which says that every sexual act outside of marriage is a sin. This is to speak of the matter of sin, but we know that Catholic morality not only takes into consideration the matter, the act, but also evaluates freedom and intention. And this for every kind of sin. Well, immediately everybody asks, okay, well, what does that mean? Well, it's also crucial that the Pope gave this interview. Very unusual for the Pope to seek out the world's most widespread source of news, the Associated Press, and give this interview. He clearly had something he wanted to say. The Associated Press interview ran in the world's newspapers one day after the Jesuit magazine America published an essay by Cardinal Robert McElroy of San Diego, who was made a cardinal the previous year, which was very strange to come from a small diocese like San Diego. And many noted that the Pope seemed to have deliberately gone right over, literally over, Los Angeles, which has been the base of a cardinal for decades, and thus did not make a cardinal out of Archbishop Gomez, the conservative Archbishop of Los Angeles, the largest diocese in America, and on top of that, the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, skipped over him and named a bishop in some way serving under him in that region and made him a cardinal. Well, what did McElroy say in his essay for America? We need to know that because that's the essay that leads to the Paprosky essay in First Things. This is where 
the Bishop of Springfield is saying heresy was published in the Jesuit magazine, America. Well, he says a lot of things. He calls opposition to the LGBT community. He calls it demonic in the church. The church's primary witness in the face of this bigotry must be one of embrace rather than distance or condemnation. Now, here comes the big sentence. The distinction between orientation and, parentheses, I would say, sexual activity cannot be the principal focus for such a pastoral embrace because it inevitably suggests dividing the LGTB community into those who refrain from sexual activity and those who do not. Well, what is the pastoral approach here? What's the issue? The issue is the reception of Holy Communion. And the Cardinal linked this to his previous statements defending Joe Biden and others in which he said the Eucharist is being weaponized and deployed as a tool in political warfare. So McElroy linked those two things. He's clearly talking about communion. Later in the piece, McElroy says, sexual activity, while profound, does not lie at the heart, unquote, of Catholic teachings on issues of discipleship, sin, confession, etc. So several things are going on here. Does the Catholic teaching that acts of homosexual sex are intrinsically disordered? Is that still in effect, especially since Cardinal McElroy is saying that this approach to excluding people from the Eucharist because of sexual activity, he says this approach should change. Meanwhile, you have another cardinal in Germany, in Luxembourg, openly stating that the church's teachings on homosexuality are, quote, no longer correct, unquote. It is time for a fundamental revision of the doctrine. This cardinal, Cardinal Jean-Claude Hollerich of Luxembourg, happens to be the head of the Vatican Synod on Synodality, which some people are referring to as Vatican III, an informal form of Vatican III, and discussions of what doctrines need to be changed, altered, or at the very least, if you leave the doctrines in place, where does our pastoral approach need to change? So there's what Bishop Paprosky is writing about. Is McElroy, this new cardinal selected by Pope Francis, is he stating his opposition to the church's teachings in the catechism on the moral nature of homosexual activity, not orientation, activity. But remember, McElroy said, we need to stop separating orientation and activity. We need to admit that we can't say that gays who are not sexually active are okay, but gays who are sexually active are not okay when it comes to receiving the Eucharist. So that's what Paprosky is writing about. And that links directly to several other things related to confession. And we're headed into Lent right now, so confession should be in the news because recently 
Pope Francis said, he was, I believe this was on a flight back from Africa, a trip to Africa, he noted that he has never, in his life as a priest, has never denied communion to anyone. And kind of advises priests and bishops to take a similar approach. Then another cardinal, not one appointed by Francis, but a cardinal with extremely tight ties to this papacy, Cardinal Supich in Chicago, he came out with an essay that basically said that excluding, I'm saying I'd read a quote here, excluding sinners from fuller participation in the life of the church until they have reformed is wrong. Basically, you shouldn't deny full participation in the life of the church, which I think everyone would agree is code language for Holy Communion. You end up with a question, should a Catholic priest hearing confessions absolve someone of a sin that they have refused to confess and have refused to repent of? Or if you're dealing with, say, a gay couple or someone who is has a legal gay marriage, should you even ask them about that in confession? And at that point, you have to flash back. Sorry, listeners, that this is so confusing. We should flash back that in 2017, the same bishop, Bishop Poprosky, came out with a policy in which he said that we should not give Holy Communion to Catholics who are legally in a gay marriage because their legal gay marriage is a statement of their rejection of church teaching on marriage and sexual activity. And who openly opposed that policy by Bishop Poprosky? Bishop then, now Cardinal, Cardinal McElroy of San Diego. So there's some history between these two men. And the history is about the exact issue that's being discussed, which is what happens in confession when you're dealing with acts that the church believes are sin, but the person who is in confession doesn't believe their sin, and thus they refuse to repent of them or refuse to even discuss them. Do you absolve them of sins they're refusing to repent of? So, Terry, back to our first question. What would it take for this to break through into the media? Okay, let me do something that I'd, I imagine you're not fond of, but I'm going to turn that back around and ask you the same question, but I'm going to put a spin on it. Now, be as cynical as you can possibly be. What would guarantee that this story would be covered other than the Pope making a statement? What would get this story covered? I imagine if this became more than just a, because you said they have a history. Right. I imagine if this became kind of a feuding of op-eds or columns or something like that by the Cardinal and by the Bishop of Springfield. That's one possibility. I still think they would ignore it. If the president if they, weighed if, in on it or something like bingo, that. Bingo. Politics. This would have to have something to do with Joe Biden. 
which brings us back to a subject that you and I have discussed in the past. Whenever we hear discussions of Joe Biden and his status as a practicing Roman Catholic and his status as someone receiving Holy Communion, despite his public opposition to the church's teachings on abortion, I've raised in my own columns several times, there's something else besides the issue of, of abortion in the case of Joe Biden. You never seem to see in these stories a mention of the fact that as vice president, Joe Biden performed a gay marriage. And when asked about performing a gay marriage, it was for staff members of the White House staff, I believe, Biden said that he thought the church's teachings on that subject were wrong and needed to change. So if Cardinal Poprosky is, he's raising here an issue of church discipline, someone who is holding a church office and not just any church office, he's in the College of Cardinals. He gets to vote on the next pope. We can come back to that subject too, if you want to. At the same time though, publicly stating that the church's doctrines on marriage and specifically on gay sexual activity are wrong is something that the President of the United States has done. And not only has put it in words, he performed a gay marriage. Now, what is the status, doctrinally speaking, of someone who has performed a gay marriage? Now, you're saying, ah, but it wasn't a Catholic marriage. It was a civil union. Well, yeah, that may be true. But at the same time, accompanying that act, the president, then vice president, said that church teachings on this were wrong. So if somehow Biden is pulled into this debate, at that point, we will return to another storyline that I believe our listeners, if they pay close attention to religion news, will remember, and that is the ongoing coverage of a right-wing cabal that is running the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and they are clashing with Rome, and these right-wing bishops are also clashing with the cardinals from the United States, or several of them. And these cardinals are aligned with the Pope. So if that storyline, which turns it into something that resembles a political war, if that storyline comes into play, yeah, that will get coverage. But this brings us back to another issue here. I mean, not only is the man who was passed over to be a cardinal, the Archbishop of Los Angeles, Archbishop Gomez. Not only was he the president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops when all that went down, who is Bishop Poprosky? Well, he happens to be the incoming chair-elect of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops Committee on Canonical Affairs and the Governance of the Church. In other words, if you were looking for someone in the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops who would write this letter and turn it into a point that could not be avoided 
in the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, it would be the chairman of the USCCB's committee on canon law and on the governments of the church. This is just a bishop from Springfield, and he's criticizing a cardinal appointed by this pope. But at the same time, if he chooses to go to the mat on this, and it sounds like he wants to, he has a chair in which to do it as the head of the U.S. bishops. And by the way, don't forget, at the heart of this whole era of the synod on synodality is supposed to be the idea that when the bishops of a country come together, they have a unique authoritative voice that Rome is supposed to listen to. This is why the Pope is in such a bind right now with the German bishops coming out openly in opposition to church teachings on the ordination of women, on homosexual activity, on gay marriage, etc. He's trying to kind of work behind the scenes to rein them in, because maybe this is the wrong time for those discussions, to pull those discussions out in the open and fight it out. Maybe that's not what the Pope wants to do. He wants to handle these issues another way. Well, now you have the outgoing president of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and by the way, the incomer, I believe, is also a conservative on these issues, and you have the incoming head of the Committee on Canon Law challenging directly one of the Pope's own newly appointed cardinals who has openly stated, we got to change the church teachings that make sexual activity automatically sin that would prevent you from receiving communion. Several types of sexual activity, and that would include being married and having sex without a Catholic divorce, and this gets into a host of other things. So, boy, that is a complicated road to follow. But this story will get covered when the Pope talks about it, when one of the Pope's own cardinals openly goes public talking about it, or when it comes up somehow in the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops as an issue that they want to discuss. And I, boy, I, I think they would stampede into a closed session behind closed doors to have that discussion, and the press is going to get locked on the outside. But that would still put it into a category where the press would have to cover it. So those are the things to watch for. Rod Dreyer notes when he wrote about this that Paparaki does not name by name McElroy in his First Things essay. Were he to have done that, were he to have said, and I'm talking about Robert McElroy in San Diego, rather than just kind of, uh, let's imagine a heretical cardinal, do you think that would have given it more legs in the mainstream media? It's possible, but as Rod states, that probably has more to do with this bishop's own understanding of canon law and maybe not wanting to go there in terms of giving the cardinal something that he could directly come back and accuse him of. But he quotes from the essay. This is a, a difference that may not be a distinction or a distinction that may not be a difference, as the old saying goes, whichever order those words go in. Everybody knows what this is about. 
What I'm amazed so far in the coverage is no one has linked it to the essay by the Cardinal of Chicago about confession and about the fact that you should absolve someone of sin no matter what. And then that links back to the Pope's own statements that he's never refused to absolve someone no matter what. Confession's a big hot button topic too, in part because confession plays such a small role in the life of the overwhelming majority of modern Catholics. Yet confession plays a crucial role in the theology and practice of Holy Communion. So to write about this subject, you've kind of got to wade into that conundrum as well. It's been 25 years that I have been paying attention to the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, and ordinarily they do not air dirty laundry in public, but something has changed. I think maybe perhaps for the better, and you wrote earlier about that narrative of the right-wing cabal that's somehow taken over the conference. These men who are in the leadership or leadership adjacent in the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops are much more outspoken than their predecessors have been. That's a story, if you ask me. You mean some of these men that have been denied red hats to make them cardinals? Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's fascinating, isn't it? And this is, to some degree, all about the cardinals. And how long can this behind-closed-doors battle between the Pope's cardinals and the leadership of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops, how long can that continue? And to some degree, that a lot of that will depend on the press coverage and how big of a story it becomes. Do you expect any reporters to ask President Biden's thoughts on this dust-up between this cardinal and this bishop? No, I don't. I would be shocked if they did. The issue is whether or not the Catholic press will make more of it. I mean, right now, if you do a search in Google News for the relevant terms and names related to the story, all of the coverage that comes up is in conservative Roman Catholic publications. And the follow-up, the crucial follow-up Q&A with Bishop Brodsky is at the pillar, exactly where you would expect it to be, with a canon lawyer kind of walking him through what he said, why he said it, what he didn't say, and why he didn't say it. So we're also waiting for the Catholic left to speak. And the Catholic left may not be speaking because they have privately been told the Pope doesn't want them to talk about it. Can the Pope, like the case of the Dubia, can the Pope pull off a strategy of silence? in a social media age where there are many forums for discussion, many forums for papers and statements to be published. Can even the Pope manage silence in our current technological reality? I wouldn't bet that he can. Terry Mattingly is Senior Fellow at the Overby Center for Southern Journalism and Politics at the University of Mississippi. 
He's founder and editor of Get Religion and author of the weekly On Religion column for the Universal Syndicate and the book Pop Goes Religion. Terry, thank you very much. Glad to be here. I'm Todd Wilkin. I'll talk with you next week. Thanks for listening to Crossroads with Terry Matting. Crossroads is a production of Get Religion, part of the First Amendment projects at the Overby Center at the University of Mississippi. If you appreciate this podcast, please make a secure online tax-deductible donation at getreligion.org.